And Peter, I really wish I had more Brits working with me because you're saying you didn't want to go in and just start unplugging things and make it work right. <laughs> I work, I have so many brilliant people that work for this company, but brilliance in one field does not mean brilliance in all fields. Nope. And I'm like, you don't see me trying to do what you guys do. Stay in your lane. Don't try to do what we do. Quit unplugging things. On this episode of AV Week, the future of BYOD, Bose gets sold, and the importance of ESG and sustainability in the AV industry. All that and more next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Nation is brought to you by Sure. Because every voice matters. This is AV Week. Episode 609, recorded Friday, April 21st, 2023. Better Idiots. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host with us to discuss the news and information we have gathered this week. First and foremost, from Parts Unknown, her name is Dawn Mead. You know her and you love her. How are you, ma'am? Very good, thanks. Thanks for having me, Tim. <laughs> Helps to unmute. I'm an AV pro. <laughs> I hope Mitchell keeps that part in. Also with us um, is a young man I, uh, I've not met in person, I don't believe, but I got to interview him a couple weeks ago, and Mitchell will put that that recording on uh rich miller uh from pace university welcome sir thank you tim appreciate you having me again absolutely and a guy named peter shepherd who i got turned on to his company called perfect octave through my day job here at cti uh not a commercial but i want Mitchell to put a link because it's a kick-ass product peter welcome sir thanks for having me pleasure Absolutely. And he has a nice accent. So, you know, <laughs> I'll try and up the pot. <laughs> the weird thing about accents is, I mean, being a being a big, dumb American, I think that anything that's not a North American accent is cool. And when I talk to people outside the, the, the U.S., like, oh, my gosh, your accent is awesome. No, it's not. I sound like I'm from St. Louis because I'm from St. Louis. I, that's just. Yeah. Yeah. Peter, you don't have to worry about the posh. Americans are excited by, about U.K. accents, even if you sound like a mank or a Liverpudlian. I mean. Good. And I don't even know what, my, what Don just said, but I agree with her. <laughs> All right. Uh, first, first story. Bose Corporation has sold its professional audio division, uh, Bose Professional, to a private equity firm called the Riverside Company. This deal will allow the Bose Corporation to, quote, unquote, focus on its consumer audio products while also providing a new opportunity for Bose Professional to grow and innovate under the new ownership. Acquisition includes all aspects of Bose Professionals' businesses, uh, including products, distribution, and customer support. Both companies expressed uh, optimism about the future of the industry and their ability to succeed in their respective areas of focus. couple things here real quick before we get started with the questions. And Don, I'm going to start with you. If you didn't know, and here, here's a weird piece of, of trivia to, to put in the back of your brain. Bose has been owned by MIT since the passing of Dr. Bose. He, he, he bequeathed it to MIT. So I find this incredibly interesting, the fact that, that MIT at least divested itself a little bit of, of, of part of that Bose legacy. But Don, the other part of this is that private equity part. What does the inclusion of even more private equity, even more investment firms in AV mean to customers, mean to the end users, mean to the folks that are purchasing this and, and putting it in on a daily basis? Well, honestly, I mean, not just for the customers and the end users, but for anyone in our industry, 
I think it just is further proof that the industry is coming into its own and getting that national, international, worldwide recognition that AV is a thing. It's a very important thing. And it's a thing that needs money and needs investment and needs care. You know, for so many years, as we all know, that have been in this industry more than five minutes, um, IT was a thing. And you ask about AV and people are like, you do what? You, you push the little <laughs> cart around the elementary school? No, it's, you know, it's an actual multi-billion dollar worldwide industry that people don't know. The fact that we've had so many private equity groups in the past, what, five years, Tim, um, investing in AV companies, that just shows that folks are aware how vital we are for communication in this era and that we're not going away and it's worth their time and their money, most especially. So, uh Looking forward to seeing how it works. You look at the top 10 uh, uh, exhibitors at Infocom this this June, and you're going to find a lot of private equity. We're going to find a lot of investment firms uh, owning the back end of those. Um, Rich, same question. Uh, living and breathing inside Pace University there in New York City. Um, what, what does this mean uh, in the classroom and what does it mean for the users? Yeah, I think, you know, I think it just shows to emphasize Dawn's point that uh, you know, there's definitely been a shift in in a in a good way um, towards really recognizing what we need. Um, and I'm going to specifically cite um, you know the media and communications department that I, I work very closely with at Pace. Um, they do everything from filming to podcasting to um, they do a documentary course where they go speaking. Uh, we were talking beforehand about a, a trip to Europe. They did, they just got back from France doing a documentary course. Um, so having the support of a company like that and really getting that name brand recognition. I mean, growing up, Bose was always like the, you know, um, the, the pinnacle, the top of the mountain, right? Like it was, for me, it was always like, oh man, I'm, I'm going to spend, but if I'm going to spend, I'm going to get Bose because I know the quality that I'm getting. And now that that kind of shift has occurred here, we're looking at it as, oh, wow, we can really, we're really getting spotlighted now. They're, they've got, been, they've been brought out by, a, you know, this private firm. And like Tim, like you mentioned with, S, I'll be there in Infocom. I'll, I'll keep a count of how many, uh, how many of the, <laughs> the, the show floor exhibitors are, are owned by uh, private equity. But uh, yeah, it's, it's so interesting to see the shift. Uh, and I really just wanted to emphasize what, what Dawn mentioned about how important this has been to, to giving us uh, more exposure in the AV industry. Like it was like a few years ago, it was like AV. And you mentioned the pushing the cart around, uh, Dawn. We, we used to call them cows. So, uh, you know, computer on wheels. And I'll never forget that. And uh, it just shows how far we've come. Herding cows. And if I can, if I can jump on uh, Rich's point for a second, you know, you mentioned growing up, Bose was the, the pinnacle. That's mm -hmm. true. But I'm glad to see in this story that they're divesting the professional from the consumer, because yeah. for a lot of us that are a little older than you and have been in the industry longer, <laughs> Bose was the pinnacle of right. the consumer stuff. Like there's this inherent kind of bias. I mean, I know it doesn't really exist anymore because products go both ways, but it's very much in some folks' minds still, well, that's great for home, but we need something professional here. And so right. by divesting themselves from the consumer products and having their own professional products, their professional stuff could be great. Haven't tested it because that little voice in your head saying, oh, it's Bose, you know, like right. I'll, I'll put that in my living room. But so <laughs> by separating yeah. it, I think they're going to see a benefit that way as well. They, they've come out the last three to four years right before COVID. And, and unfortunately for them, or fortunately, you know, they, they had developed a line of, of speaker bars, right, for, for UC spaces and huddle rooms, if you guys remember the, that wonderful term. Um, but it, it they 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 had some really 
kick-ass um, you know, auto echo, echo cancellation, some good microphones in there. And I'm not quite sure, you know, they, they didn't quite get the, the market share, mainly because they were up against some some pretty big folks. Um, but, you know, I'll be interested to see what this, this Riverside group does with some of that IP and some of that intellectual property. Peter, um, not only do you make really, really interesting uh, software uh, at, at Productive, you've also been in the industry for a long time. So take a look at it from, from either angle. You know, what does this mean and, and, and where, what are the, the pros and cons of, of investment firms and, and, and private equity getting into the AV industry even more? I try to look at it as a positive. Um, I mean, obviously, they're, hopefully they're looking at it in the right way as well. And it's something that's going to benefit the industry as a whole. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've known and been working with Bose for probably all my career so far. So it's about 20 years in the AV industry. And when we started, you know, particularly in the UK, I'm not sure about the US. You know, one of the big things we had over here was actually the Bose Pro status. You know, to even deal with Bose, you had to be a Bose Pro partner. And that was actually a real sense of prestige. Um, so I know it's been talked about in previous episodes, you know, in terms of recognition, industry recognition, company recognition, and actually, you know, being a Bose Pro partner was a real stamp saying, you know, we know what we're doing. And it was quite hard to achieve. Um, and, and again, I mean, that, that sort of prestige with the brand, I think helped particularly with the pro side, you know, to Dawn's point, the consumer side's always been strong because the marketing machine behind that has been yeah. fantastic, you know, and, and the pro side, I think has is caught a lot of the wind of that. Um, it's not to take anything away from the products that, you know, they've got some great products in the arena, but, you know, in my opinion, um, the last sort of four or five years, a lot of the industry has caught up massively, you know, and there's been a lot of investment in other areas. Um, you know, so if, if, if this is a way to inject more capital into the pro side of the business, you know, as you say, leaving the, the consumer side to do what it does and invest into the pro, you know, get the marketing out there, get the products up to, um, you know, to surpass the levels that we're seeing from perhaps some other competitors. And I think it's really exciting. All right. Next story uh, comes to us from our friends over at Rave Pubs. Megan Dutta interviewed uh, Tim Trost from Legrand. Uh, and they discussed the importance of sustainability in the AV industry and the steps being taken by Legrand to address this issue. The article highlights several initiatives undertaken by Legrand AV, such as reduced, uh, reducing pack packaging waste, using sustainable materials in product design, and investing in renewable energy sources. The company also emphasizes the importance of educating customers and partners on sustainability issues and providing solutions to help them achieve their own sustainability goals. Now, this was a part of a larger effort uh, for Rave and, and Commercial Integrator. They partnered together for a fundraising effort. Uh, they didn't charge the the uh, sponsors to talk about this and, and talk about what they're doing, uh, but the, the sponsors donated to Earth Friendly Charities. So far, they've raised fifteen thousand uh, dollars for those efforts. Uh, Mitchell will put a link to to that uh, those efforts on Rave's website on on this episode's page. Uh, Rich, we're going to start with you on this. What, how important are green or the, the 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 new buzzword is ESG, environmental sustainability and, and governance? Uh, how important is that when when a, a university like Pace makes decisions on purchases? Right, you're you're looking at a proposal. You're looking at uh, you know you you've got to do 50 classrooms. How important are efforts like this when you make your final decision? Yeah, Tim. I mean, it, uh, it, it's obviously it's super important. But the you know the, the big thing I, I took away from this was that like obviously we can talk about this over and over again, but until we can actually kind of have some metrics behind, it, I think that's kind of like what we were with the articles mentioning. We're not really sure of some of the consequences out there. So when we're getting a proposal, when we're looking at all these installs and all this cool stuff that we're putting in there, 
we have a little bit of an idea of the of what's happening you know after the fact or during the install or what we're taking out of a room and so on and so forth but you know for short term but for longer term i think the the biggest thing is we're not really sure what the consequences are so i think there needs to be a little bit more you know um i guess you mentioned education in into this for you know for everybody involved uh whether it's the integrator the distributor the installer the the, the end user um and the biggest thing i see that the, the reason i see that as super important is coming from a you know pace where we we are a liberal arts school uh, college of arts and sciences we also have a business school but in our college of arts and sciences uh we sp specifically have a you know very big fairly large uh, environmental program uh on campus um so you know it, that's definitely super important to us and it's something that we take really seriously and uh, i think as with anything it's um, you know, with some of these newer things, what ends up happening is it's kind of like the, you know, um, I, I always think of every time I say something newer out there, I, the first thing that pops in my head, I don't, don't ask me why is chat GPT, because it's, I don't know why, you know, it's like a, just a tech thing. Cause it's like the fad right now, but it, it's like the wild, wild west. Cause you're not really sure where it's going to go. Like, is it like, I'm in a room right now where I'm, where I'm recording with you guys. And like, I'm in a room where it's like, there's a, a, a projector, but there's also a zoom station because of COVID. Uh, so that was kind of like a thing that was a was a placeholder for when COVID occurred, right? So that folks could still keep their classes going. But it also has this beautiful podium with a um, you know setup for you to come in and, and, and run your class as well. Um, but my thought process is immediately when you you asked me about this topic was well, what's going to happen? Hope you know hopefully in the next few months. As again, I know COVID's never just going to go away, but like we we're moving towards being farther and farther away from it. Where's that Zoom station going to go? Like, is it just going to get dumped somewhere? Uh, and I think that's ultimately the sometimes these band aid fixes end up causing longer term issues as far as the you know like the, I know the greenhouse emissions, carbon footprint, all that stuff. Um, and you know, so there definitely needs to be some more education, I guess, and some research done behind. I know it's easier said than done, uh, but I think there's always a lot of talking about it and. Um, giving the the insinuation that it's being done, but there probably needs to be more done. So, really, really quickly, because that is a very, very important part there. Uh, again, my, my day job is, is is I work for CTI in St. Louis. We're uh, integrator. Uh, we've got about you know thirty some odd locations. I'm in marketing, so don't ask me any technical questions. Um, but when one of the things that we run into is a uh, an e-cycling statement, a, a, a proof of what we're doing with that with that gear that we're taking out right now. <clears throat> certainly, there are some customers and some clients they're keeping that right, and and that's on them. That, that that's their decision. They wanna they wanna repurpose it. They want it for for you know B stock or whatever. But there are certain instances where you know the dealer themselves, who are, regardless of who the dealer is, they are going to be taking that that electronic equipment away. The 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 client then the customer needs to understand what they're doing with that, right? Are they are they disposing of it in an environmentally friendly way? Um, absolutely. Uh, Peter, same kind of question here. You know, what, how important are initiatives like this? Uh, you know, we we used to call it Green AV, right? Uh, Hundred years ago, when when Don and I were were running around Infocom, uh, that, that's what we called it then. But this is a, a completely separate, you know, an evolution of that thought process. How important is the sustainability aspect of AV? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we, we seem to, I mean, just, just from our own experience, we seem to get this in waves. Almost, okay. And dare I say, it, it probably shouldn't put it in this classification, but almost like a trend, right? That it comes around every few years and we get asked by customers saying, oh, you know, we've got an initiative now and we have to, we have to prove, and that's the hard part. We have to prove that we're doing something to save energy 
or, or that we're disposing of waste in a certain way. Um, now, I mean, we have regulations, I'm sure it's much the same in the US, we have certain regulations that are on each business to dispose of electrical goods in a certain way and do that responsibly. Um, you know, I'd like to say that that happens 100% of the time for every business, I can guarantee it doesn't. Um, but when it comes to, you know, to servicing these requirements for, for clients, as I say, it, it sort of comes in dribs and drabs. And, and to me, I don't think it's quite enough. I think there should be a bit more um, interest in this area to make sure that, you know, some of the equipment that we're putting in is, um, uh, dare I say, sort of energy star rated, right? So having classifications yep. that at least goes some way to say, you know, this is what it will do. This is what it will run in standby. And none of this jiggery pokery where you say, okay, well, it runs at this kind of wattage, but only when it's doing absolutely nothing. But by the way, it's never absolutely, actually doing nothing. You know, we get asked to kind of prove this information. And, and to be honest, you know, the, the, it's very hard thing to prove. You know, it's already been pointed out. You kind of need to do studies of this and get the data. And if you're putting in systems, um, you know, even from a point of view of, well, are we saving energy uh, from a green initiative to make sure that rooms aren't, you know, powered on when they're not being in use, etc. Well, that's fine. Are they working? Are they operational? How are they programmed? Is the equipment that's actually monitoring that, you know, affecting the statistics in that because it's it's powered up and it's going to be monitoring the equipment? I, I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but I don't think personally there's enough information to, to make real good judgment calls to say, you know what? you're after saving energy and, and doing the right thing by by um, the environment. This is the way that we can do it. And this is the way we recommend, not particularly when it comes to AV and I think probably a few other technical fields as well. I think there's probably more that, that has to happen. All right. Don, I'll let you wrap up with this one. How, how important is this in, you know, Don works in, in around, you know, the DC area and that's about all we can say. So how important is it to, you know, your industry and, and the folks that you you work with? Surprisingly, very important. Um, surprisingly, because we don't hear about it very often or it comes in waves, as Peter said. Yeah. But um, this is something that has not just in my own current company, but even back when I was an integrator, even back 10 years, 15 years ago, earlier in my career, it's showing up on federal bids and, and government documents. You know, they require not just Energy Star, but I remember one project probably about 10 years ago, well before my current employment, where we not only had to verify countries of origin of products and our own green statement for our company, we had to verify for them that the products that were built outside of the U.S. were done so in a way that didn't cause environmental harm to those nations. We had to get a certain, wow. uh, yeah, I mean, it, it can get really intense, the requirements. I mean, the U.S. federal government has a lot of programs, not just uh, President Biden's current green federal order, but there's the Green Purchasing Act. There's Federal Buy Clean Initiative. Um, for Peter's sake, you know, over in Europe, they've got Rojas and a number of other regulations that we all have to follow. And not knowing about these things is not an excuse. <laughs> you know, you got to follow the law. You got to, you know, have that knowledge base. And having that knowledge base for those integrators listening will help you get jobs because you will understand what they're talking about if you bring that in and say, I understand your your company, like my company has the, the global responsibility team that has environmental sustainability as a subgroup. And we have requirements and needs for that within my own company. If you came into me as a vendor and said, hey, look, I understand your environmental sustainability group is concerned about this, this, and this, and you're subject to the federal regulations, we can help you with that. That's a great, great selling point. And, you know, just helping the planet be better and, and giving something better for our future generations 
you know, icing on the cake. But in the meantime, everybody knows it's all about the almighty dollar or pound, wherever we are. And, uh, you know, if you play the rules and you take advantage of things like this, if you're the only one, it's like the cybersecurity thing. If you're the only one going in with this knowledge, you're going to stand out and you're likely going to get picked if you're in the same price ballpark as everything comes down to money. Yeah. But um, I can't understate how important it is, at least in certain verticals. And I'm sure it's filtering out into the corporate world and nonprofit worlds as well. So, 100%. 100% it is. All right. Uh, final story comes to us actually from our website, uh, avianation.tv. Uh, we posted a blog discussing the rising demand for bring your own device, BYOD. Uh, solutions in the modern workplace with more employees working remotely and then working hybridly uh, using their own devices for work-related tasks. Companies need to have the right infrastructure in place to support this trend. Uh, the benefits of BYOD includes in increased uh, productivity, safety concerns, as well as mobility. Peter, we'll start with you on this. Where is BYOD headed in, in this environment of hybrid slash work from home slash work from everywhere? slash your butt's getting back in the office. I don't know where we are with this. Um, it depends on which, which company you talk to, but where, where are we at with BYOD? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, obviously the, 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 sort of the COVID situation kind of accelerated this, I think for, for pretty much every integrator out there. And, and, and we saw a huge influx, um, it was well. It was actually fascinating seeing, uh, you know, the travesty that happened upon the events industry when COVID hit, uh, and we saw a lot of events companies um, moving into doing tenders for corporate work, right? Because suddenly the everyone realized that people were going to be um, working. I suppose they had the foresight. They, they realized that people were going to be working from home initially, but then eventually would have this sort of transition back to the office and would be bringing devices, not only that a company issued, but they're going to be bringing their own devices, et cetera, in. So everyone was sort of rushing in on this market to try and, to try and um, build these, uh, these solutions out. And, you know, it, it, it is constantly changing. I don't, I don't, to your question, Tim, I don't, I don't know how you can actually sort of plan. So, you know what, this is where we're going to be in five years time. It's just such a quick moving target. Well, well don't, don't misunderstand. I stopped asking five year questions <laughs> during COVID, dude. I'm serious. Yeah. That taught me a serious lesson. Like nobody knows. How about a year from now? Again, I mean, even then it's kind of hard to predict. What I would say okay. is I think, um, you know, in terms of the, the the hardware and how that's done, it's that's it's kind of one thing. I think, you know, I've been to a few meetings in the last couple of weeks, and even I'm ashamed to say, you know, I've been in this industry for 20 years, and I, I dropped in on a meeting the other day, and I had to present, and this was in a in a Teams room, and I recognised the hardware. I didn't know how to connect to the screen, and neither did the people who actually worked at the company who were with me, and we had to get IT to do it. And it's not for lack of trying. It's just there was a maybe it's the Britishness in me, right? I didn't want to go changing the system or trying to unplug. I could probably find a way, but I didn't want to break it. Um, but and actually, the way that IT set that screen up was not the way I was expecting. I won't go into the details of it. But what was what it sort of really highlighted was um, that it doesn't matter how good the technology is or how intuitive, intuitive you you think it is from an engineer or a technical standpoint. You've really got to appeal to someone who does not know how these things connect at all. So I think some of the best experiences I've seen, um, it, or even some of the low tech ones, right, where they've just got some sort of instructional sheet which shows, you know, you've got this device, this is what you do. You've got this type of device, this is what you do. Um, and there's more technical ways that you brought in via informational touchscreens, et cetera. I've seen some really good examples of that, but just some sort of interaction which pre prevents that need for anyone to have to interact or come in or disturb their time to get your meeting started. And, you know, it, 
the connectivity when you bring your own device in um, is fine if the options are there, but it's it's. I still find it quite rare where you can actually just plug in and something works right away without some kind of um, um, assistance, particularly when you're walking into a corporate environment that's not yours. Um, you know, you've, you pointed out there's sort of aspects to do with the security and everything. And again, that's the reason why I wouldn't want to just go in and just go fiddling with cables in a corporate environment. You're not, not sure what you're going to disturb and and uh, and what you might interrupt. Um, but again, I think I think what I'd like to see in in the industry as a whole is probably yes, continue on the advances in technology and allowing people to share from different devices, but also more of a thought on 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 how to cater for people's intuition and how to educate people in that first instance for how to get people online as quickly as possible. I think that's the real key that uh, that everyone can focus on now. Don, uh, Peter brought out something about COVID accelerating accelerating all this. And, and you know, Don has been gracious enough to be talking to me for over 10 years now. You and I were discussing um, BYOD prior to COVID, right? That it was becoming a thing. How does BYOD today differ from that conversation prior to COVID? Or is it the same conversation we just had a hiccup? It's an expanded conversation. Um, okay. It's somewhat the same in that we have to have these items, you know, available, the ability to to bring in our own things and use them. But prior to COVID, it was very much generational. I think mm. you and I, and it sounds like Peter, you know, the Gen Xers, woo, um, and the early, early millennials, like we're the old people that were wanting to be YOD. And it was all the younger, newer generations into the, into the workplace that were really kind of driving that. Yeah. Then COVID happened and everyone's like, oh, crap like everyone had to learn how to work from home including the boomers and the whoever else is still in the workplace and the same with the trickle down when it comes to um, hybrid or learning to you know remote in that sort of thing byod all of that kind of is encapsulated in a new set of learning that everybody had to learn and i know some of our older executives when they had to work from home during covid were asking their kids and grandkids to like get them up and running but then once they learn that, they've got this new skill set and it's way easier to just go, okay, here's my thing. Let me just, you know, send it there than it is to go through the whole plug it in, you know, like the, it's, it's become a much simpler thing. I'll put it that way. And there's a lot more people using it. So you have to go from the intuitive people to the people that don't know a daggone thing. You know, mm -hmm. I always say you can't idiot proof something because they'll build a better idiot. Um, you know, future proofing is the same way. You can't future proof something, but you can make it a little more future friendly if possible. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of where we are. You know, you, it, it's a necessary skill. It's a necessary feature in rooms. I'm actually kind of lucky because in the vertical and the company I work for, a whole bunch of our rooms can't be YOD ever because they're secure and they're encapsulated <laughs> and they're in their own little world and we can just go old school AV with them. But everywhere else, they want to bring in a device, bring in a, a tablet, a company-issued laptop. It might be a, a customer of a company is coming in with their devices. So, you know, in those spaces, we have to think, how can we do this? How can we make this easy? And Peter, I really wish I had more Brits working with me because you're saying you didn't want to go in and just start unplugging things and make it work right. Fantastic. I work, I have so many brilliant people that work for this company, but brilliance in one field 
does not mean brilliance in all fields. And I'm like, you don't see me trying to do what you guys do. Stay in your lane. Don't try to do what we do. Quit unplugging things. <laughs> so, so really quick show of hands because this, this is this is more of an age test. As Dawn's talking, I'm immediately going back, you know, 20 years when we plugged in the FGA or the the, the VGA, and we had to hit function 12 or function eight to get the, the function F8. Thank you. See <laughs> that, that, that See, Rich, gabba gabba, one old. of us. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Rich, uh, you'll 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 bring this one home. Uh, where's BYOD in education? Like, what, what is that? How does that impact you guys? Yeah. So, you know, it, it, in the sense that, I mean, we obviously a lot of us tends to go back to COVID. I've always been a, bit, a big advocate of it even before COVID, but obviously COVID turned our world, everybody's world upside down, obviously. Um, but as far as teaching and faculty and the rooms that we support, um, wow, um, mind blowing, right? To think back that that was only three years ago, we had to pivot on a, on a dime and, uh, and change all this. So the first thing is, um, in the beginning of that, we we moved everybody over from desktops to laptops, essentially, which I think is kind of becoming a commonplace now where you can easily bring your laptop home, plug it in at a dock on workspace, or even if you don't have a designated workspace, there's swing spaces where there's screens and docks and so on and so forth. Um, the biggest thing, though, was th that... Uh, that learning curve <laughs> that, that that Dawn mentioned, right? We had so we have our super users that were already the ones that had their own laptops that would come into class and always be plugging into the HDMI or even attempting, you know, a wireless. If we had like an an, an air media, am I allowed to talk about pressure yeah. on air media? Like yeah. like in the article, I mean, the article mentioned it. Yeah, um, I don't care. Yeah, so like you know, any type of Barco, any type of wireless device. Like we have a couple people that are you know always willing to try the new stuff, right? We have a couple fancier high end rooms, um, but you know, then you always that, you have that middle ground where the, the folks that would be like, oh no, there's a desktop in the room. I'll just bring my USB drive. We still have you know some old school like that. And then when we had to go full remote, there were folks that didn't even have a laptop, so mm -hmm. they were at home trying to. We were shipping laptops, uh, coordinating with all central IT and shipping laptops to faculty. Um, ordering laptops, supply chain issues, not getting enough laptops. And so then there was a hardware issue. Um, so then it became a whole you know, different set of issues, uh, uh, concerns, right? Uh, now, fast forwarding, you know, a, a little bit to around now, give or take. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's a different thought process. Whereas like these conference rooms, for example, that we used to use as conference rooms, um, they are used to be built, you know, in a certain way with you know, you mentioned VGA. Obviously, I think we finally, I think we finally moved on completely from VGA around here. I think it's HDMI mostly standard. Thank goodness. Um, but I, I just did a quote. We just did a quote for a, a new room the other day, and it's just a, you know, it's a neat bar. It's two double screens. It's a, it's a connection at the desk. That's it. No desktop. No, no additional. So you're, you're, you know, the fact that everybody's being supplied with the hardware now um is is really i think going to be the key as far as getting them to buy in. they had no choice but to buy in right and be able to figure kind of figure it out on the we were all figuring out on the fly right all the different industries um but those faculty that were used to traditionally teaching in a room like i'm in with a marker board or a chalkboard and uh, maybe using some technology now suddenly we're totally online and now as they're coming you know things are getting a little bit more back to normal or are back to normal um they they did learn some new skills don't you like like you mentioned that you know they have some new skills that they can bring in um and you know when they come in now they're like hey like i have this great pace laptop now i can plug right in with the hdmi or uh you know fancy fancy the crush on air media that's coming out soon wink hint hint might be doing an unboxing on my uh podcast or youtube channel in the next couple of weeks i might have one of those uh to, to try out uh but yeah things like that too so you know and then the biggest thing there is also with the, the cycles of these rooms i think also um 
you know, you, you talk about the BYOD. Um, I won't get into the security aspect of it because I'm not really an expert on that, but that's a whole other story, like John mentioned, right? Like you can certain rooms are how they are, like from your from your in your industry, I, I can imagine, Dawn, but um here it's like, you know, the big high-end rooms obviously are always gonna have probably a stock desktop in there no matter what because of the way they're used. Whereas a lot of these classrooms and conference rooms now uh, are really, you're going to walk in and if it's a, whether it's a wireless dongle that you're going to need, or you're going to have to have HDMI on your Dell laptop, or you better bring your dongle for your Mac because, you know, to plug the HDMI in, uh, otherwise you're going to have some issues. But yeah, it's, it's been quite the three or four years, uh, but I'm a, I'm a big, big advocate of pushing the BYD. The familiarity piece is key to getting a faculty member onto a, standard computer in a classroom even if it's only slightly different from their laptop that they use at home even if it's like both pace issued can you know it, it sets you uh, you know it just sends you to a little bit of uh, down a rabbit hole sometimes trying to find a file even because you're not familiar with what you're logging on to so we're, we we're definitely have seen it from so many different angles now but the whole learning on the fly i think has expedited that process and has helped kind of push forward a little bit to something that i definitely have been an advocate for for, for a few years now between the three of us we've all kind of detailed different scenarios with different platforms and different people using them we kind of highlighted the issue right here just in this conversation this is what we're encountering you know you've got different generations who are expecting different things and so to your question tim what do i expect in a year uh, probably a 12th standard to to back up the other 11 right that, that exist um it would i think the utopia is that if you could always walk into a room and know what you're going to expect and know what you're going to connect to and yet if you work for one company and they've got the same setup that may be the case but if you're going from you know if you're doing meetings from company to company you never know um and i think that's 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 the bridge that's that still needs to be built is is making sure that everyone's comfortable and has got that confidence that they can walk in with a device and know it's going to connect and we're we're, we're far from that. We've got some amazing solutions out there, but there's so many of them at the moment and trying to cater for so many different people and so many different walks of life and so many different formats um, that maybe it's just a case of, you know, all of that older hardware gets responsibly disposed of eventually and we move into this one format world uh, and everyone feels a bit more confident going into those meetings or those classrooms. But, you know, a year, five years, who knows? But Peter, right. I'm not holding my breath because... Forget about the whole world getting on one standard setup and one standard experience. I'm not just pointing a finger at my company, but several companies I've been to as an integrator and currently, you can't even get the same experience or the same setup room to room or building to building, let alone worldwide company to company. So well, even that's even a, worldwide within your company. Yeah, right. So like, you know, if I were to hold my breath waiting for it, I would match Tim's shirt. It, it's blue. It's blue if you're not watching the video. Oh, All right. I, I heard a, I heard a presentation recently just to piggyback of a, both of what you said, both of you said in person uh, from a, a, another university where they have standardized. And if you basically if you don't get on board with the standardization, there's like the, the support isn't necessarily there for you. And I I was I was jealous of that in the sense that how difficult that must have been to acquire. But, um, you know, golf clap kudos for the, the fact that they were able to achieve that in some way, shape or form because of how virtually impossible that seems to do across the board yeah absolutely all right gang that will do it thank you all so much don mead uh they can't find you at your work but how do we find you before i give you my socials and where you can find me normally piggybacking off of what rich just said i will be co-instructing a course this year at infocom with mike peterson from iowa state university yep. and our class is titled making it yours 
Developing Institutional Audiovisual Standards, and it's going to be on Tuesday. And he went through this process with his university. I am in the process of doing this with my company and the challenges and the, the best practices and things that we've learned or are learning. Um, that's what we hope to share with everybody at that class. So um, yeah, you know, if you have to tell people we're not gonna support it, if you don't adhere to the standard, it is what it is, you know. Yep. So come to our class, learn how to do this, and uh, we will love to see you in June in Orlando. But in the meantime, you can always find me here on avnation.tv as often as Tim will let me be on AV Week. And if you dig back into the archives, since I haven't done one in a while, also on the AV Social Show, talking about social media and marketing. Otherwise, you can find me all over the interwebs. I am at AV Dawn on the Twitters and the Instas and so forth. And Dawn Mead on the LinkedIn, because we're going to be all professional. And uh, otherwise, you'll see me in person at AV events. Yes, ma'am. 14th to the 16th is what you'll find her in June uh, in Orlando for Infocom. 13th for my class. So th 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 the 13th is her class, but the show floor, anyhow. The show floor, yes. yeah. <laughs> Middle of June in Orlando. Dawn. All right. Uh, Rich, thank you, sir. Uh, how do people connect with you or Pace or the Bald AV guys? Yeah, so uh, Dawn, I'm going to piggyback with you. I'll be at Infocom as well uh, with my my fellow Bald AV guy, uh, George Chaco, and our other colleague, Tony Suarez. We're presenting on the uh, future. I'm going to read the exact title. I want to screw up. Future of Educational Technology and Experiential Learning. So we're going to talk about, you know, classroom stuff, the shift from, uh, you know, to this hybrid learning. And we're also going to talk about um, our uh, AV program that we're building at Pace as well. Um, so we're, we're currently building that out as well. So we are presenting. We have the early slot on the Thursday morning at 830. So get your coffee ready. We'll be we'll be there and uh john i hope hope to check yours out as well uh we'll be flying in on monday but uh yeah you can also find us uh cables coffee and curveballs is our uh, podcast on spotify apple music all that fun stuff uh all the socials would be at bald av guys and uh linkedin you can find me uh rich miller the third i i i <laughs> i am not allowed to be on the bald av guys i just want to point that out I mean, you can be, but you obviously have luscious hair, Tim. So we would, you know, yeah, uh, we would note, note that exclusively. Uh, I did get to, to talk with <laughs> with Rich and George. Uh, so uh, Mitchell will put a, a link to that episode's page where we talk about um, their AV education program at Pace. So that it would be really, really cool. Peter, good to see you in person, uh, virtually in person. Uh, thanks for the insights. Uh, how do people connect with you uh, or Perfect Active? Um, so sadly, I won't be at Infocom, um, but uh, you know, if you want to see some of the talks that we did uh, recently, I recently did a talk uh, for QSIS out at ISE. So we're, we're at ISE every year um, and hopefully look forward to connecting with some people out in February next year. It used to, it was in May, one glorious year um, out in Barcelona, but they moved it back to February. So unfortunately, we don't get that summer sun. Um, but other than that, uh, yeah, check us out on uh, perfectgolfdave.co.uk or look me up on LinkedIn. All right, very good. Uh, for me, for Tim Albright, do not follow me on the Twitters. Um, at this point, I am cautiously optimistic about the Bears season. That's all I'll say about that because the Blues are not in the playoffs. Um, <clears throat> and that's all I'll say about that. Um, but yeah, Infocom, all kinds of stuff going on. Go to, go to our website, avionation.tv. Go to infocomshow.org, all kinds of stuff. If you don't, if you haven't registered, you can use our code, avionation. Um, but here's a rundown of what we got. So I, um, we've got... Uh, we're partnering with with our uh, our parent company CTI on Tuesday night from six to eleven. We're doing a, a tech on tap party at the Ice Bar uh, in Orlando, so you can register for that. Aviation tweet up, uh, which Dawn was there for the first one, and I expect her to be for this one, four to six on Wednesday afternoon in the Orange County Convention Center. 
uh, and all kinds of other fun stuff. So yeah, go by the website, avianation.tv. It's avianation.tv. And we also head to Orlando the 14th through the 16th of June. So all that and more at avianation.tv. That's avianation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week. Oh, my God.